everybody. Welcome to Narrative Live. It is Tuesday evening at seven o'clock on the East Coast, four o'clock on the West Coast. We're very excited to have a really fascinating show tonight about coronavirus and the origins of coronavirus. Hello to Noel Kassler, my partner in crime for the next while here on the Tuesday Night's Narrative. How are you, Noel? Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm excellent, Zev. Happy to be here. And uh, we're going to have a great time. Nina Burley, by the way, who we know for many other reasons, uh, will be here at around 7.30 in 30 minutes from now. And I say we know her for many other reasons because she's always on for just being an incredible national journalist. But she's also the author of a new book about the coronavirus called Virus. And it is only out in May 18th, as it turns out. And she has a sneak peek of all of that for us tonight. So you'll hear about it first for what she found out in the book. And we also have a very exciting interview with uh, a, a researcher, a scientist in Adelaide, who has been able to figure out something very special about the origins of coronavirus. Then let me bring in Nick Petrovsky, who's uh, joining us from Adelaide. Are you there? Yes, Zeb, sorry about that. It, obviously, the Australian network doesn't want me talking about this topic. So. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering about that. I'm sure a lot of people don't want you talking about this topic. Yeah. I mean, you are half the world away from us in Adelaide, where it's a terrific city and it's 10 o'clock in the morning. And we thank you very much for joining us. Your work mostly is with developing vaccines. Yeah, so for the last 20 years or so, I've been uh, involved in developing mainly pandemic vaccines. So pandemic flu, SARS. MERS and, and now COVID-19. So that's certainly what keeps us busy. Last May, when I published my story saying, hey, we really have to look at this lab theory a little bit more, people, you know, people questioned me a lot. There was a lot of people out there saying, you're, you're spreading a conspiracy theory. Why are you supporting something that Donald Trump said? And I said, look, this is, these are the facts. These are what I see. This is what I understand as being the facts. Uh, and I'm presenting them as clearly as I can. You know, it didn't go over well with too many people. And uh, the same thing with a very important study that you did. Tell us a little bit about that reception. Yeah, look, it, it's been a challenging 12 months for a whole lot of reasons. You know, as a scientist, you know, our role is just to look at the facts and put forward hypotheses and then test the hypotheses and, and disprove or prove them and then move on. And so it has been a very frustrating time because our research you know, innocently which was originally designed around designing a vaccine against COVID-19, led us down a path which created more and more questions about the origins of this virus. You know, we just couldn't explain our findings in, in, a, in the sense of a normal zoonotic transmission from an animal to a human. Absolutely. And, and so we innocently thought the world will really want to hear this science because it's very solid science. And, and we just hit a brick wall. We couldn't get it accepted for publication through a range of journals. It was just being blocked and, and it still hasn't officially been published to this day. We think we might be on the cusp of getting it accepted. Wow. Nine months after we submitted it, it's quite extraordinary and it's a very innocent paper. It just models the virus and explains so that the virus was actually ideally optimal for binding to human receptors from from the first occurrence. You know, originally when the coronavirus broke out in Wuhan, uh, the Chinese government or, or officials in China put out a story that said they believed it came from a market in Wuhan that sold live animals. It was called the Sea uh, Market, I think is the name that they use. But as it turns out, uh, it, that wasn't necessarily the case. Researchers in China quickly discovered that most of the people who had contracted coronavirus in Wuhan, at least a significant number of them, hadn't even been near the, the Wuhan market. In fact, 14 of the 41st samples that they collected, none of them were even near the Wuhan market. So it sure is a possibility that it came from there, 
but it doesn't seem very likely to even researchers there. And the other thing that researchers pointed to, and this is Chinese researchers, um, once they've discovered that the Wuhan wet market was not a possibility, they said, well, look, there's a, at least three different places that are labs that treat coronaviruses, some of them specialize in bat coronaviruses within 20 miles of that sea market. Maybe those places are places that we may want to look at as potential uh, originators of this outbreak. And they included this Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is, amongst many other things, it's also the bat coronavirus center of all the world. There is no more important place in the world for bat coronavirus uh, study than the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It's also the only high security level four lab that they have in China, which makes it you know, the place where they study all the most deadly diseases. And it's also a place that has this, uh, this bat woman who is renowned, Shengli Ji is her name, and she's renowned for being um, a bat uh, virologist that specializes only in coronavirus. And even though they had speculated this, the Chinese researchers, even though they'd put that out, there was a great insistence from the, the Chinese government that this wasn't the case. Now, Nick, you've done a lot of study into this. Am I misleading anyone into saying that the wet market is likely, but not the most likely? scenario. Well, no, the Chinese CDC themselves dismissed the wet market as the source of the virus. That's, we're getting it from source there. It's not our supposition. Amongst the very earliest cases, there were a significant number that hadn't had contact with the wet market. And I think, in fact, the, the first case that they've identified um, similarly didn't have contact. So the wet market was, came into the, the picture a little bit later. It, it was actually a place where you know, the number of cases expanded um, having got into the wet market, but it was almost certainly brought to the wet market by a human. And in fact, they did extensive um, screening of all the wet market and the animals in the wet market to find virus. And they found that, again, it appeared just to be human contamination. There was no evidence in the animal. So really, this whole wet market story was dismissed by the Chinese officially. Oh, really? I didn't realise that. I, th I think now in the narrative, Narrative, you know, with the WHO report, they brought the wet market back into the story because they need another explanation. And, right. and so we now see the wet market almost brought back in 12 months after the Chinese themselves had dismissed it and, and mm. with no new evidence to, to implicate the wet market. But really, they need a source for the virus because if it isn't no, the wet market, it isn't a, an animal source, then you're left with the inevitable conclusion, maybe it it came the out lab. of the lab. Yeah, right. Now, um, there's a, an animal called the pangolin, which you probably have never heard of. I never did until I, I looked it up when I first came across it. it. It isn't even sold in the wet market. But it, originally, that's the theory that they had put out. They said the pangolin was the intermediary between the bat coronavirus, which they had originally just in Yunnan, 11,000 miles away. But then they suspected that this pangolin may have been the intermediary between the bats and the human beings even though it's 11,000 miles away. Now, that is still a possibility, right? The pangolin as an intermediary is a possibility, even though they didn't really sell it at the Wuhan wet market. So look, the, the pangolin story was an interesting one because again, it got into the news because of a complete scientific miscommunication. So a team in China had identified a coronavirus in pangolins and, and announced to the world they had found the source of COVID-19. I'm right. um, thinking they'd found COVID-19 in their pangolins. They hadn't, 
it turned out it was a miscommunication between the two Chinese teams, the one sequencing the virus and the one making the announcement, which were two different institutes. Mm. And they went back and looked at the sequence of the pangolin coronavirus. It had nothing in common with COVID-19. It was only about 90% similar, which is you know, a million miles away in effect. So, but by then the world's media had run the story, oh, the COVID-19 has been found in pangolins. Pangolins are the missing link. As I say, that was all completely erroneous and was all retracted. But the pangolin, the poor animal that have stayed centre stage. People have looked increasingly, obviously, at pangolins. The Chinese government have done screening in pangolins. And certainly pangolins do have their own coronavirus but it isn't the source of COVID-19 and there's no evidence that pangolins anywhere in the world are currently at the source of COVID-19. So yes, pangolins are there in the spotlight, falsely implicated, probably innocent. There are not a lot of pangolins around, so the probability of a pangolin being the transmission vehicle, as you said, is incredibly remote because usually you would need a lot of infected animals interacting with humans to have a chance of a virus crossing over and that simply there are only a couple of pangolins being smuggled into China right. each year. It, it, it's, it's such a, it's, a remote it's a far, probability. In fact, there aren't very any animals right now that people consider are the likely intermediary as far as they can tell. We've done studies on everything and there's very little to suggest that any animal is the direct intermediary between the bat and the, and the uh, human, being, uh, human beings. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, so I think the important thing is people speculated very early, could this have come straight across from a bat? And I think the definitive answer based on our research and, and others is absolutely not. The closest bat virus, G 13 doesn't infect human cells. So there's really no possibility of this having come straight from a bat to a human. So if you want to postulate a, an animal source, you have to have to find this intermediary species that harbored the virus and allowed it to cross over. The Chinese themselves, not surprisingly, they've done a phenomenal job in screening every conceivable animal in China. And I think in the WHO report, they actually cite about 10,000 samples that were analysed by the Chinese, and it came up with zero evidence of any animal carrying mm. anything like COVID-19. So the wow. Chinese themselves have come up with a complete blank when it comes to finding this sort of mystical animal that supposedly carried this virus into humans. So there's no animal intermediary that we can find. I want to play a clip from Redfield, the CDC director, and Trump. This is the former CDC director, the head guy of the CDC, and he was talking on, on a special on CNN. This is Sanjay Gupta's special, and he shocked everyone. He shocked me because he actually said what I believed is the theory. But because he's the former CDC director under Trump, everyone poo-pooed him and said, you're just another conspiracy theorist. If I was to guess this virus started transmitting somewhere in September, October in Wuhan. September, October. That's my own view. It's an only opinion. I'm allowed to have opinions now. I am of the point of view that I still think the most likely uh, etiology of this pathogen in Wuhan was a, from a laboratory who escaped. The other people don't believe that's fine. Science will eventually figure it out. It's not unusual for respiratory pathogens that are being worked on in a laboratory to infect the laboratory. It is also not unusual for that type of research to be occurring in Wuhan. 
the city is a widely known center for viral studies in China, including the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which has experimented extensively with bat coronaviruses. It is a remarkable conversation I, I feel like we're having here because you are the former CDC director and you were the director at the time this was all happening. For the first time, the former CDC director is stating publicly that he believes this pandemic started months earlier than we knew and that it originated not at a wet market, but inside a lab in China. These are two significant things to say, Dr. Redfield. And that's not implying any intentionality. It's my opinion, right? But I am a virologist. I have spent my life in virology. I do not believe this somehow came from a bat to a human. And at that moment in time, the virus that came to the human became one of the most infectious viruses that we know in humanity. For That's the significant point he's making there. I mean, that it's, it took to humans really well, and it took to humans very quickly. Nick, yeah. Look, that's the, that was the outcome of our research. And, you know, we, we did molecular modeling on all the different species of animals that had been put forward. This is going back to, to February, March last year, when no one knew anything about this virus. And we were looking for this mystical intermediary host back then, and that was the purpose of our research. We really believed, like everyone, that's how this came about. And so what we were able to do is we were modeling all of the different species of animals to work out which one was the virus actually optimally designed to infect because that should be the original host. And to our surprise, what came out of the study was that in fact it was optimally designed to infect and transmit between humans. Yeah. Um, and every other animal species was below humans, so it suggested this, this had been in humans all along. And of course we then looked to see, is there any evidence this virus was circulating in humans for the last few years? And we simply didn't know about it. And the answer oh. is, and again the Chinese have done very extensive surveys, there is no evidence this virus was in humans prior to October, November, December 2019. So then we started looking, well, how could this be optimally evolved for humans if it's never seen a human? Mm -hmm. And of course, the only plausible answer is it saw human cells in a laboratory. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it became adapted to humans and didn't actually have to be in a whole human. Uh, nowadays, you know, it's very common to culture viruses with human cells. And in that way, the virus actually learns and becomes very good at infecting humans. Uh, and if that virus then leaked and infected a laboratory worker who was handling those cultures, well, that would explain exactly what Robert Redfield is describing, an mm. accidental leak, non-intentional, of a laboratory that was doing research on these viruses and we know that the institutes in Wuhan were the leading world, you know, uh, investigators mm. into these types of viruses. So, this so, is my cell. So, yeah. So the I've got cells something in, on here. In, yeah. Yeah. So the cells in your nose mm. express a protein called ACE2 or angiotensin converting mm. enzyme 2. Okay. That plays a role in, in, in normal function of the cells but it's the protein the virus uses to attach to those cells and invade them. So there's something now, attached to my cell over here, some sort of receptor at least, that it would allow the... the from your cell that yeah. the virus recognizes. When that virus recognizes that ACE2 protein in your nose, 
mm-hmm. it says, right, it's time to invade these cells. Right. If it doesn't see ACE2, then the virus doesn't infect you. Mm. So, for instance, we know in mice, they express an ACE2 protein, but their ACE2 protein is quite different to humans, and it's not recognised by the virus. And so the virus actually won't infect mice. So the coronavirus is specifically adaptable to human beings. To our protein. To our protein. So our ACE2 protein. So it's exquisitely able to bind and, and infect cells that express that protein. But even small changes to that protein in other species, the virus doesn't recognize them nearly as well, and so it doesn't invade them. So you can put as much virus as you like into a mouse, and it doesn't get sick. But you do get dogs and and, and other animals that do get sick from coronavirus, don't they? So, well, so they can get infected. And again, this is what our data showed, is we could rank all the species. So they're the, the species like humans the virus is perfectly adapted to. Mm-hmm. There are a group of species in the middle, and this in fact includes cats and, and dogs and mm-hmm. ferrets and minks. And so the virus is able to infect them. It's not going to make them terribly sick um, because, again, it's not specifically not ideal, adapted right. to them, but it will infect them. And then you have animals at the bottom, which include snakes and mice, where it doesn't matter how much virus you load into those animals, it simply won't cause them to get infected or to mm. get ill. So you have this gradation of infectivity and also seriousness of infection. And humans are right at the top of that pyramid, and that is not what we would expect from a normal transmission that's occurred from an animal to a human. It takes time for the virus to to build that strength in the new host. Almost impossible for this to have happened any other way except in a lab. Again, not impossible. Science is just about exploring all possibilities. And and so those of us who suspect that the evidence is on the side of this coming from a laboratory would never say it's impossible that it came from nature. Maybe we just haven't found that missing link yet. Obviously, the more we look and we don't find it, the more likely the other scenario, which is it's from a lab. But we certainly can never say with 100% certainty it came from a lab unless someone in that lab actually says, right. it, it was me, right. I made the mistake. You know, I'm sorry for that. The likelihood, of course, as we go further into this, of someone or some organization taking responsibility is exceedingly low. And you can understand why. Even if it happened in the US or somewhere else, it takes a, a very strong discipline to admit to causing a global pandemic. You know, even if they were aware of it, you wouldn't expect them to volunteer that at this time. It was also possible, right, that it could be a natural uh, transmission from an animal to a human in a lab. In other words, it doesn't have to be that anything was weirdly done with the virus in order for that to happen. It could happen in in a lab setting, maybe an experiment, but not necessarily because anything was manipulated or engineered or anything. Absolutely. And again, that's why we were so surprised we got such a a pushback on our paper. Because in our paper, we didn't put forward when we were looking at the scenarios, and they were just scenarios. Again, we weren't claiming we knew anything Mm -hmm. about the origins of the virus. But we said, look, if if this did happen in a lab, 
it's most likely that it was just someone was culturing this virus in the lab and then they accidentally got a flick of liquid in their eye, which we know can happen, and that's sufficient to trigger the first human infection. Mm -hmm. and, and so we weren't saying that someone had genetically modified the virus or that it was a, a bioweapon, all these other, the transmission of this virus from a Petri dish, most likely, or from an animal, as you say, that was being infected in the lab to one of the people who were looking after it and from there. And again, very innocent, not suggesting any culpability even. This has happened before. We know with SARS, though SARS got out of Chinese labs a number of times and caused some outbreaks after the original epidemic. A again, these things happen. And so no one's trying to point a finger, but it's important if that is the reason and the origin, it's important we know about it. Yeah, it might also help us treat the disease. We'll have much more relevant information then, presumably. I, yeah, it maybe won't help us treat, knowing the origin won't help us treat it, but certainly it will help us to think about how do we prevent another occurrence of the same thing. Right. You may not want to mention people, and I understand why, but I might, if you don't mind, because I, when I, when this story first came to my attention, when I was reading two articles, one was in Scientific American and one was in CNN Health by two people involved in the story. One of them was the bat woman who runs the bat virology uh, research, and that's what she's known as at uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology. And the other person was Peter Dajak, who you may have seen on TV a few times. He's the guy who basically helps fund Zheng Lishi's research. He takes grants from the US government and brings it through his organization called EcoHealth and distributes it around the world to various research facilities who do all this kind of interesting pandemic work. Peter Dajak, who funded Xi's work, but has also spent more than a decade, I think maybe even 15 years or longer, visiting Wuhan and he knows the facility pretty well. He said to CNN that the new coronavirus had matched a horseshoe bat that was found in a cave in Yunnan 11,000 miles away, again, in 2013. And it was 96.2% identical. And I, I don't have it here, but there's a video clip where I think he actually personally found that bat in Yunnan when he was doing research. And he's the one who collected the sample. So he would know about this 2013 uh, find of this horseshoe bat and how similar it is now to the coronavirus. Can you explain to us a little bit more about how important that facility is in terms of stopping future pandemics? What she said is she'd had sleepless nights worrying that in fact it, the virus had come out of her lab, which mm. is, is very telling in itself. Um, it says that she was aware they were doing research that could have resulted in a lab leak, mm. which they've subsequently denied doing any such research. But again, you can't explain her saying, I had sleepless nights until right. I confirmed that, right. you know, this virus hadn't come out of my lab. Well, you, know, you have to realise there's a perfect match and a closely related virus. What she was saying is that she didn't find a perfect, a perfect match, match. Okay. for well, COVID-19, which would mean that, in fact, the virus had come from her lab. I was relieved there wasn't a perfect match, but, but then subsequently said, but we found uh, a virus, which we also found okay. bats, uh, which is the closest match. And in fact, that was then a very high profile publication saying uh, the rat G13 virus, which right. Peter Darzak is now referring to, uh, was the genetically the most closely related virus to COVID-19, which then said, oh, maybe this virus came from bats. Without that, there was no real handle on 
where did this virus come from? The amount of coronaviruses in the world, number what, in the millions? Well, certainly, in, it, we've characterized thousands. Um, right. But yes, there, there's a lot more out there, obviously. That from various been, animals, various diseases that we are not aware of, never yeah. even thought of, but maybe there's a million types of coronaviruses out there. Now, what are the chances are that a, a big pandemic are going to come from bats or, or bat coronaviruses? I mean, how big are these bat coronavirus universe? Well, so bat coronaviruses are restricted to certain parts of Asia, um, mm -hmm. particularly China, Thailand, Malaysia, where, where a lot of these bats live that carry the coronaviruses, but not every bat carries a coronavirus. Right. So they, they tend to occur in clusters. And, and again, although there might be thousands or hundred thousands of variants, they all cluster into families. So we have the SARS uh, coronavirus family, um, you know, which caused the SARS outbreak, but it's a whole collection of different viruses that are all very closely related. Uh, we now have the, you know, the SARS-CoV-2 related family into which you, know, you could possibly put RATG13 and a number of other viruses that have been identified that are close enough relatives that you would put them in the same. So they're only, they're, there's, there's a restricted number of um, types of bat coronavirus. It's not like there's millions, there's three or four families how many genomes do you think we're talking about then? It's certainly in the thousands. And a lot of these bat viruses were all in a database in the Wuhan Institute of Virology that was available to the public until late in 2019. And suddenly, at the same time this outbreak started, all of those databases were removed and That's made unusual. secret. And they've refused to make those sequences in those databases available since, which has obviously disappointed a lot of virologists because they believe that there may be information in those databases that would help them to work out where COVID-19 did come from. And it's again, doesn't look good when you say this is an innocent well, database much of, more of extreme coronavirus that we're not going to which there, there's absolutely no evidence. The question is what we were saying this was just an and, honest and mistake. What's the likelihood that a pandemic breaks out and the that coronavirus that it's most closely related to is within 20 miles of that event. It was like this one particular place is studying bat coronaviruses and even the, amongst the thousands of bat coronaviruses, they happen to have the one that was closest related to uh, the one that broke out within their vicinity? Absolutely, and I think everyone had the same sense that even the fact that the virus they've identified from that's the closest came from several thousand kilometers away. So where the Institute is not actually where the bat right. viruses are. The only reason they're bat viruses in Wuhan is they're stored in the laboratory at the Institute. And again, even the Chinese expected, like SARS, that if they were going to get an outbreak of coronaviruses, it would occur in southern China, where they know their bats that carry right. these types of viruses. No one was expecting this to occur in Wuhan. And you have to ask, well, why was it Wuhan, as you say? And it, again, it's an innocent question. The only sort of explanation that links Wuhan to these viruses is the Institute. And, and mm. so I don't think, again, it's finger pointing to, to ask the innocent question, is that the explanation why this outbreak started in Wuhan, which is not where even the Chinese were expecting an outbreak to occur? And he has a map, by the way, if people want to know where Yunnan is, I think I'm saying it correctly, but who knows? That's where the virus was found in a bat 
uh, it's a long way away from Wuhan. You know, it's 11,000 miles away. So really, if, uh, if it had traveled, it would have meant to, meant to bat to either fly there, which I don't think they do, or contaminate an animal in the, in the actual zone. And then that animal would have got to Wuhan somehow or a human. It seems quite difficult for that to have happened. Absolutely. And again, viruses leave traces. So even if you postulate a virus has traveled across country, uh, whether it's in a human or in an animal, it it would leave a trace. In other words, people would get infected along the journey. If someone got on a train from Yunnan, went to Wuhan, they'd infect people at the Yunnan train station, people who were on the same train who went to Beijing. And so then you would have multiple outbreaks of the virus all about the same time. But here we just had a singular outbreak in Wuhan that clearly then spread to the rest of China. But there is, there's no evidence of an outbreak before Wuhan. And I know the Chinese early on were putting out stories about Italy and the US and India and every other country saying the virus started there. But there is absolutely no credible scientific evidence that this virus was anywhere other than Wuhan in October, November, you know, 2019. It started in Wuhan and there's absolutely no evidence it came from somewhere else. It's just fascinating, Nick, and we'll let Nina talk about this, but from everything you've said, it sounds like it it had to originate in a lab. And I like how you said it didn't have to be nefarious. It could have just been accidentally trans- transmitted. Now, when you look at how the virus behaved once it got out there in the world, you know how doctors had never seen like lung x-rays that looked like ground glass and people's blood was coagulating. The horrificness with which it spread through the world speaks to the fact that it was engineered besides what you said about the ACE2 enzymes and all that, which backs up the theory of it being engineered. I guess my question is, it sounds like your paper is correct. And Nina talks about this. I had a chance to peek at her book and it's brilliant. I'm going to tell everybody to read it when it comes out. But it's a dangerous truth for science to have the truth now come out, it seems like. It's not just the Chinese would want to hide it. It seems like most of the scientific community wouldn't want this truth to be known at this point. Look, I think that's unfortunately true that the virology community, you know, who do research on viruses are extremely concerned about the backlash that would come if it's revealed this pandemic did actually come out of a laboratory. If, if that was established, our world governments would be looking very carefully at what mm-hmm. virus research do we allow, what virus research do we ban. That's going to have an impact on virologists all over the world. And so not surprisingly, they're quite terrified of that whole lab origin narrative and have very strongly pushed back at it saying if Unless there's absolute irrefutable evidence, we don't want to hear it even mentioned as a hypothesis because people might start making inferences from that and might start regulating our research just based on the supposition. And so their view is, but of course my view is if we can't discuss it, we'll never get to the bottom of the truth and maybe it was a lab leak. And if it was, we need to know that. But if we don't ask the question, we're we're never going to find the answer. And so, yes, virologists as a group have been one of the strongest dismissers of the lab hypothesis because they have a vested interest in virology research, which is understandable 
but problematic for those of us who just want to get to the bottom of the truth. And as I say, none of us really know the answer. There's a lot of evidence it may have come from a lab, and some people have gone as far as to say, like Robert Redfield, our conclusion is that. But overall, we don't have any evidence for it coming from nature. So really, we have an open question that needs to be addressed. And we need to be open-minded and explore all possibilities, even the unpalatable ones. And yes, it's unpalatable for a lot of people, including me, if it did come from a lab. Mm. But if it did, we need to know it. Narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support forward slash narrative.